0: Hey, it's flower Country with Scott Jennings. Glad to be with you and thank you so much. We're grateful for everybody who's listening to the show and we're getting a growing following out there and we are getting some really, really impressive people to join us on the show. I'm, I'm actually surprised every time somebody reaches out to us or says yes to us. I'm always stunned at, at the people who want to come on the show and I was really surprised. When today's guest said yes so, so readily, his name, he's not from the world of politics. We've done a lot of politics on the show, but this is from the world of medicine. His name is Dr. Jason Fung, and he is the author of a book called The Obesity Code. He's also written other books, The Diabetes Code, The Complete Guide to Fasting. I found Dr. Fung a little over a year ago when I was searching for something in my life to help me solve my health situation. I knew my health care was off the rails. I, I I was on the roller coaster that a lot of people are on with weight. Goes up, goes down, try gimmicks, it works for a while, you put it back on. And I just I just was looking for something to get me off the roller coaster that would work, that was sustainable and that just it wasn't a gimmick. And so I started reading about intermittent fasting. I'd heard about it Started reading about it. I found this guy's book, Dr. Fung's book, The Obesity Code. And when you look into what he has done, how he arrived at his theories, you look at his practice. You know, he's a kidney doctor and he was treating all these people that had all these symptoms, but he was never, uh, in his mind, treating the root cause of a lot of their problems obesity. And so he starts to think about uh, how to get at the root cause. And it led him to this epiphany about the use of fasting to improve people's health. And we talk a lot about this today. Uh, if you were like me and I mean, so many people are, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, I, I felt ashamed so many years. Like, am I not good enough? You know, am I not, you know, am I not smart enough? Do I not have enough willpower? Am I just, there's something wrong with me that I can't make something work. And what I have come to understand is no, there's nothing wrong with any of you. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with Joe Arnold, who's with me today, uh, as we interview Dr. Fung, who's been on the same roller coaster that a lot of us have. There's nothing wrong with us. There is something wrong with our society and the way we treat food and the way we have normalized the ingestion of sugar and so on and so forth. But there's nothing inherently wrong with you. There are things to learn, and and why I had Jason Fung on the show today is because I think if people learned about what he's talking about and learned about the fact that. There's nothing wrong with fasting and there's a lot of r- a right with it, that we've been doing it for hundreds of thousands of years as humans, that it that it would cause a revolution, frankly, in the way we live, the way we eat, the way we think about our health. And so I wanted to do my part to get Dr. Fung's theories and methods out there because I think it could help people. It helped me. I think it could help us at a macro scale. We talked about public policy on the show this week and about uh, how uh, more governments <laughs> should think about more comprehensively. Uh, tackling, you know, these issues. I mean, we have massive healthcare problems in our society because of what we're eating and how we're eating it and, and, and when we're eating and we're not, and we're treating the symptoms. You know, we spend a ton of money on treating people's symptoms of being obese and having diabetes and so on and so forth, but we're just not getting at the root causes. And that's where Dr. Fung is. And that's why I wanted to have him on. He was a fascinating interview. His books are great. You can find him on the internet, www.drjasonfung.com, all spelled out. He's the founder of something called thefastingmethod.com. He's all over you know, the internet. He's been on He's quoted in articles. He's got some acolytes who work for him, Megan Ramos and others that, that are around doing their own podcasts and things. But this is the granddaddy. This is the guru. This is the guy. If you want to get into intermittent fasting and you want to learn about it and you want to hear from somebody who I think approaches it with an open heart, who truly wants to make this world better, who wants to make your healthcare better, and who wants to give you the information to unlock better outcomes. This is your guy. You're on Flyover Country. I'm Scott Jennings, and we're glad to have you here to listen to our interview with Dr. Jason Fung.
1: Attention passengers,
0: we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments.
1: Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff.
0: All right. Thanks for uh, joining us on the Fly Over Country podcast. I'm Scott Jennings. Appreciate your engagement with the show. We have a very, very special show this week. As you heard at the top, Dr. Jason Fung is our special guest and along for the ride this week, my co-pilot and the host of our weekly roundtable discussions, Joe Arnold's here. Joe, thanks for
1: being with us today, brother. I'm excited. And Dr. Fung, it's a a real pleasure and an honor to to talk to you. Scott has introduced you to many people around uh, our listening area here. So we're, we're glad to have you, Dr. Fung, and
0: Joe is exactly right. Uh, about a year ago, I found you and found your book and uh, introduced it to Joe, and, and he and I for, for several months kind of uh, engaged in it together. I've had a little bit different experience than, than him lately, and it's something we want to talk about today, but we're so honored to have you, and I'd just like to frankly start with your story, uh, which I find interesting. Because I think it's applicable to a great many things in our society where we end up treating symptoms of things, but we don't ever ask ourselves, what are the root causes of things? And you could apply this to any, you know, many of our problems in society, but you have applied that. Uh, directly to your clinical work. And so I thought we'd start there. Tell us how you got started, and how you found intermittent fasting to be the answer to some of the questions you were asking yourself every day.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's great to to be here. So uh, I'm a kidney specialist. So I trained at the University of Toronto and then at UCLA. And I started off very sort of conventionally, just treating people, um, you know, the same way, dialysis, medications, that kind of thing. But um, after a few years, uh, it became obvious that what we were doing was not working. That is, there's more and more obesity, more and more, which led to more and more type 2 diabetes, which led to more and more kidney disease. And that was sort of um, where things were by, you know, the, the early 2010s, for example and um, eventually it dawned on me that we were sort of looking at it all the wrong way. That is, if you look at type 2 diabetes, um, people were saying, oh, it's a chronic and progressive disease, but we knew in our heart that that actually wasn't true. We are sort of just lying to ourselves as physicians because we are having such a poor time trying to get people to lose weight. That is, everybody knew, like doctors knew it, patients knew it, everybody knew. If you lost weight, your type 2 diabetes would either get way better or go away entirely. That wasn't the secret. But if that was the case, and this was a reversible disease, then that's what you need to do, try and reverse it. Instead, we were trying to pretend that it was this chronic, you know, progressive disease. It was just that our treatments were so incredibly poor that we weren't able to get people better. But, you know, as as physicians, nobody wanted to face up to that fact. But if you don't face up to it, you can't solve the problem, right? You can't uh like first thing to do is you have to acknowledge the problem. So the problem was weight loss. We had people had to lose weight and and so I really got interested in the question of how to get people to lose weight. And of course at the time there was a lot of people you know count your calories count your calories. That was basically the only thing that anybody ever said about weight loss. And again, it was one of these big lies that we as physicians tell ourselves because we had been failing so badly. If it was the answer, then why was nobody getting better? Like we'd been giving this advice for 25 years and nobody was getting better. So then obviously it's either got to be bad advice or it's got to be, you know, um, people can't follow it. But either way. If people can't follow it, it's still bad advice, right? You're not helping people by giving them advice that they don't follow. So that's where I started to look back at this whole idea of, you know, is it really just about counting calories? Uh, Because it really really wasn't. There was a whole lot more to it than that. We tried to break it down into things like, you know, it's all just about calories, which means that, you know, eating cookies and eating broccoli, if they're the same number number of calories – are equally fattening, but that's garbage. Like everybody knows that cookies are fattening. Broccoli is not particularly fattening. So this idea that it's all about calories is just wrong. And 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 even when you look at it from a physiological perspective, it's wrong. That is, if you put cookies in your mouth and you put broccoli in your mouth. Your body responds completely differently. The hormones that it releases are completely differently, are, are completely different. So therefore, our response to it is completely different. When you put those calories in your mouth, your body can either burn it for energy, generate body heat, you know, give you energy to go out walking or running or whatever, or it can store it as body fat. Which one it does is the body's choice, right? So it depends on the hormones, not depends on the calories. And the only implication of this sort of understanding is that some foods are more fattening than other foods, which is obviously just common sense, right? Your grandmother could have told you that. Like, it just wasn't logical. And yet this was what was being sort of pushed on to the public as this sort of scientific weight loss. So the whole thing was just wrong. Um, and, and so then I started to think about it. And then so I started to think about the hormones involved and then, eventually I thought about fasting and this is remember about 10 years ago and so everybody sort of knew that fasting was really really bad for you nobody should ever do it it was horrible you know you would gain weight with fasting but you know my advantage was that I really could understand the scientific literature and so so on so I went back and said well What's wrong with not eating for a period of time? So say you don't eat for 16 hours or 18 hours or 20 hours. What happens to the body and um, why is it so bad? And the truth was that there wasn't anything wrong with it. And in fact, if you think about what our body does, when you eat, you store those calories. And you can store it as body fat, for example. When you don't eat, you're going to use those calories that you're taking out of body fat because that's your storage form, right? Just like if you go to the grocery store, and you buy a lot of food, you put some of it in the fridge. Then when you don't go to the grocery store, you can take it out of the fridge. It's okay. That's what you're supposed to do with it. And so that's what our body does. When you put those calories into your body fat, it's it's stored. So you can only take it out of storage if you don't eat. Because If you are eating, your body's trying to store it. You can't store it and burn it at the same time. So really, the only thing you need to do is give your body enough time to to, to sort of use those calories that you stored away. That is literally the exact reason that we have body fat. It's not there for looks. It's there for you, you to use as a source of stored food energy or calories. So you're using it for what it's for. It was actually completely normal physiologic. And guess what? humans have been doing this for thousands and thousands of years. Because if you look at fasting, there's been so many religions, for example, that have that as part of their um, you know, normal practice. So therefore, it's not something like, that, that, that we just made up. It's something that people have been doing for thousands of years. So here we have a, complete, a, 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 a um, something that is completely free, completely accessible, very simple to understand, and people had been doing it for thousands of years, and therefore was known to be safe. I mean, obviously, if you're underweight, you can't do it. But if you're overweight, then it's a completely safe thing to do, because you're using the body fat for, for, for its precise purpose. But yet, if you think about the public health implications, it had the ability to completely reverse type 2 diabetes, which is a huge, probably the rig- biggest risk factor uh, short of smoking, for heart disease, strokes, cancers, you know the biggest cause of blindness, the biggest cause of kidney disease, non-traumatic amputations, right? I mean, it was it was a crazy thing to think that we actually. <laughs> The power to reverse this in our hands if we just simply applied that knowledge. So that's where I started to talk about fasting and, you know, trying to really um, sort of take out some of the, the, the misunderstandings of what it is. People had a lot of misconceptions that had been built in over many years, and you know I was trying to bring the science to say, "Look, this is what you think, but this is actually what happened so you know some of the myths were that you'd go into starvation mode and that was not true, that you couldn't concentrate, and that wasn't true, and that you'd have no energy, and that wasn't true so that was where I started to think about it and then, as I started to use it in practice again it was it was just ridiculous, like people were getting better so quickly I had um patients with type 2 diabetes for example on high doses of insulin so really you know very severe diabetes we started them fasting like a couple of them and i wrote this up in a in an article within a month they had completely gotten off of their insulin they had completely reversed their type 2 diabetes and it's like these were people i had treated for the last 10 years with type 2 diabetes and i didn't know enough to actually make them better so that you know that's really where i was like okay we need to to make sure people say understand that hey this is a very important option for you like not that you have to do it or not have to do it but you can choose for yourself right but we have to give people the right information that they can make this choice for themselves. If they don't want to do it, then don't do it, right? I don't you know, um that's not my job. My job is to bring you the options, tell you what you need to do and it's up to you to do better right so so that's where where i started to write about it and that's where the books came from so the obesity code was talking about some of the the science of weight loss and the complete guide to fasting was about that and the diabetes code was about trying to reverse type 2 diabetes which i think is actually one of the most important things that we should be doing to really get ourselves um, you know a lot healthier and prevent a lot of the heart disease and so on
1: so, Scott, Dr. I know that you, that Scott, you've. I was going to say if I could, just to just, yeah. I'm gonna, uh, ask you because you've already shared this on the podcast and in the columns. I think it'd be helpful for the baseline here for folks to know your story. And, yeah, sure. your well, story. about a year ago, I, you know, I, like like you explained in your book, Doctor Fung,
0: I had been for years uh, a heavy guy back to when I was a kid, and uh, and I had gone through periods of trying to do things. Uh, that they say you should do that would work, and and it mostly revolves around calories in, calories out. You know, I used to, I used to tell people all the time, I have to eat less and run further, and it just, you know, you'd lose some weight, and then you'd gain some weight, and then you'd lose some weight, and then you'd gain some weight, and it really wasn't until I found your book that I actually achieved uh, some success that has that has been uh, a sustainable success over a period of time. And uh, and and I wrote about it because, you know, I look living out here and this this podcast is for flower country. You know, our audience is kind of middle America. And if you look at the the mortality rates and the type two diabetes rates and just just what's killing people out here, it's it all revolves around obesity. And my dad has type two diabetes. You know, I mean, I grew up with people that suffer from this now. And I, I could feel myself heading down that same road and, and it really wanting to, to, find, to find something that, that worked better than, than what I had uh, experienced uh, in my life. And so when I found you and when I found your work, it, 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 was, uh, it was really a life-changing experience. And I, and I wanted to lose weight. I, I had my eye on the long-term health outcomes. What I was surprised about after this whole thing uh, was how many people still, even after my success – would walk up to me and say things like, Oh, this is completely wrong. This is totally unhealthy. You need to stop right now. You you look terrible. You know, and these are people who who I'm sure have been on the same roller coaster I've been on. And so you you get you get like you, you run into these saboteurs. I mean, there are saboteurs everywhere. Our society is a saboteur, people in your life, people you know, people you barely know. It's really interesting. And I, I guess my question is. As you counsel people, how, how do you is, to me this is as much psychological as it is physical. Because you, you know, you you have to you have to choose to do it, as you said. But but people, you know, you live in the real world. You gotta deal with a spouse, you have to deal with people you work with, you have to deal with your kids, you have to deal with you know, the random people that you you run into on a daily basis. And so, if I may, I'm curious about your work in the psychology of this to some degree. How do you counsel people to deal with that part? Because for me, and I don't know about you, Joe, but for me, that's been the hardest part. The personal interactions, the social pressures, you know, the people who are convinced, convinced that you're killing yourself because you lost 60 pounds like I did. I was wondering if you might comment on that because the number one thing I hear is "How how do I deal
2: with the psychology of it? Yeah, I think that's the, um, that's why getting the information out to people is really important so that, um, you know, the people who, who try to steer you away from it, they're, they're well meaning. They, they, they think that they're telling you the right thing, but they don't understand that a lot of the science actually doesn't, doesn't back them up. A lot of the people who used to say, oh, you have to eat, eat, eat all the time, right? Eat six times a day, eat 10 times a day to lose weight. It's like, how does that even make any sense? How are you going to lose weight by eating? It's actually not physiologically possible. Or people would say, well, if you fast, you're going to gain weight. It's like how does that work? Because it actually doesn't. And the getting the information out to people so people understand that hey, you know, look, there's actually a lot of science that has been established over Um, sort of 20, 30 years of research at least Um, and several thousand years of sort of history that say that this is actually a healthy thing so fasting used to be considered an extremely healthy thing, it was something that you did for yourself to make yourself better, it was only in the last so you know people would talk about fasting like cleansing or purification or so on so you're basically trying to get let your body get rid of all the sort of excess sugar and excess fat and it was understood that this is something that you do not because it's super fun right, nobody really enjoys it that much but it's something to do to stay healthy and people understood that up until about sort of 20 30 years ago when there there was this whole movement to say oh well you know you have to eat all the time so one is getting the information out there and then the other thing you touch upon is what's very um you know important which is that it's not simply about knowing how to do it it's actually setting yourself up for success And uh, there's a few things that is uh, important. One of them is sort of the environment in which you live in, because there are certain environments that are going to make it easy for you and certain ones that are going to make it hard for you. So I give the example sometimes. So say you're in a, uh, you know, you work in the office and you're in a meeting and so on. You know, 50 years ago in the 70s, a meeting was just a meeting. You sat there and you listened and that was it. Right now, somebody always orders a big plate of cookies or something like that. So now, for example, if you're bored and you have nothing to do, you aren't hungry. You're never going to eat cookies, but hey, it's sitting there in front of you. You know it's not good for you. <laughs> you know you shouldn't be eating them, but you do anyway. But Why? every because every single person
0: listening to this, and Joe and I both work in corporate settings, and every single person listening to this knows what you're saying is hundred percent accurate. You do not eat. Even- <laughs> In these corporates, I, I feel seen. Yeah, I mean, there, there is a plate of something bad on every table. It's it's amazing. I yeah. mean, at it, 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 any time of the day. I mean, ten thirty in oh. the morning, four in the afternoon. It it, it is you were bombarded with it. It's totally true.
2: Well, if you go even at physicians' conferences, okay, so you'll go, you'll get your breakfast in the morning, and then at ten thirty they'll roll out the granola bars and stuff. At twelve, you have a full thing full lunch and then at 2 30 there's muffins and cookies, right? And then you and then there's dinner afterwards if if you go to it. And it's like, okay, well, again, it's the environment that is going to lead you down the wrong path. Because if somebody didn't roll out a whole thing of fruit and granola at ten thirty. you wouldn't be eating it because you had breakfast right it, and and you know to, to some extent these are things that are under our control it's not just about knowing um you know about physiology and fasting it's to say look if i was a boss i'd be like okay first thing i do is say okay meetings there's no food this is a meeting it's work there's no more um plates of cookies at uh, the plates, of, you know, little cups of chocolate or whatever because that's not fair to people who are trying to lose weight. There's no more birthday parties, you know, in the office sort of thing because nobody needs to eat that cake anymore, right? So these are things that you have to understand. So this environmental and, and systemic things. That you have to try and say, okay, well, this is not a lack of willpower because we always blame lack of willpower. But I don't think people have less willpower than they did sort of 50 years ago. You just didn't have the opportunity to do that. And again, looking at the environment. So, for example, say you go to get yourself a coffee. And, of course, if right next they're selling donuts and cookies and everything right so that again is an environmental cue you go get yourself a coffee all of a sudden you've wound up with the donuts you know you shouldn't have done doing that but you couldn't resist because it was there if it wasn't there you wouldn't. So then you can say, okay, well, maybe I'm going to put a coffee machine in the office so that people don't, don't have to go down there, right? It's It's these things that are going to be really important because that's the secret to why in the 70s people just didn't have the same struggles that we do. Because if you look at the fast food industry, there's just a lot more. There's there's coffee shops in, in the lobby. There's, you know, stuff everywhere. And if, if not, people bring it in because of this mistaken notion that you must, must, must eat. And it's ingrained in us, right? So uh, I'll tell you that when uh, when my sons were uh, in grade school and they'd go on a trip, a field trip or something, right? You'd get this note that came back. And every parent seen this, oh, please pack two snacks for your kids. I'm like, Why? Are they not I'm eating kidding. lunch? Am I not feeding them <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> dinner? Why did they need to? Because when I grew up, I didn't, right? You had uh, after school, you want a snack. Your mom said, No, you're gonna ruin your dinner, right? You wanted an after after dinner snack. She'd say no, you should ate more at dinner. Nowadays, you go to soccer and some parents think you need to feed them in between the halves of soccer. And it's like, why? I played, you know, that when I was a kid. I had a great time. Nobody chased me around with some juice and cookies thinking that I needed that to play. Yeah. Everybody was playing, no problem. Just let them play. Don't force you know your kids to have some snacks right and, and and it's it's sort of this crazy situation and that's what i mean it's important to really look at these environmental factors because they're they're a lot more per, pervasive than we really understand and and it's something that we can make a conscious decision about and all of a sudden hey you know like no more cookies in the meetings it's like hey that's a great way for everybody just to you know <laughs> stay away from all that uh, all that sugar and temptation
1: Funny you should say that because I was thinking two, two things. One, this is Joe, by the way, for the podcast listeners, the uh, the environmental cues are absolutely you're, you're spot on. And Scott is a stronger person than I am. And I'm just more, I'm much more uh, susceptible to just buying into them or, or having a hard time getting back on the train. After like a vacation or something like that, where it's just easier to go through the drive through, everyone else is getting something. So I will too. But, you know, I, what I was thinking about too, as far as you mentioned your, your kids, um, you know, every time there's standardized testing in the school, there's always the thing that comes out and says, you know, eat a good breakfast. And I, but I think about and to your point before about like int, intuitively you know like what what's different about how you feel about eating this versus eating that broccoli versus a cookie. I'll be honest with you. Most times when I eat a big breakfast, I feel sick. Most times when I feel like when I, I, I when I kind of indulge myself, I might like that taste for the time being, but I end up paying for it, like with a little bit of an upset stomach for half the morning. And I and for some reason I suspend that understanding of my own experience and tell my kids, no, eat more, eat more because somehow I've, I've come to believe I don't What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. I actually think that what you experience is complete. Like I think a lot of people have that experience, but the, the problem, as you said, is that you get told so often that you must eat breakfast, you know, you have to eat a big breakfast. So, so then you do because you want to try and be healthy. Right. But the truth is that your body is way smarter than we give it credit for, right? If you don't eat breakfast, you'll simply take the calories you need from storage, which is your body fat. I mean, most people, a lot of people, are simply not hungry at breakfast time, and it's it's not because of anything wrong with them. It's because in the morning at around five a.m., there's there's a certain circadian rhythm that is your body's uh, hormones go up and down through the day. So just before you wake up around five a.m., your body actually has this spike of certain hormones like growth hormone and cortisol and so on and that basically takes the um the calories and starts pumping out into your system so it raises your blood glucose so you don't need to eat because your body's already gotten your body you know yourself ready for the day if you're hungry then sure you can go eat if you want to but you don't have to you don't have to force yourself there's nothing healthy about stuffing a muffin in your mouth at 8 a.m right if if you don't want to then just don't, right? If it means that you get way too hungry and you're you know you're tempted and you're eating, you know, candy bars at 10 30, sure. Eat eat an egg or something in the morning, right? But there's, there's nothing intrinsically healthy about putting something in your mouth in the beginning of the day. Your body's already gotten yourself ready for it. I mean, the, the truth is our body knows what to do if we don't eat. Like that just takes stuff out of storage. Um, the, so so eating breakfast, I mean, I don't eat breakfast, I haven't eaten breakfast regularly for years. And that wasn't originally because I thought it was healthy or unhealthy. It was just because like you, I really just didn't didn't feel the need to, and, and, and for a long time after, like during residency and stuff, I was just too tired. I was just, <laughs> I prefer to sleep, right? So then I just rolled out of bed, went to work. I just didn't eat anything. And that was fine, and and after a while, I just got in the habit. So I haven't done that for years, and really, I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. I mean, the the whole idea that you know there's something magical about breakfast, there's nothing magical. It's a meal like any other uh, meal. If you eat a good meal, that's good. If you, you don't eat a good meal, well, you'll you can you can just hold off on it. So that's that's some of the thinking. Like you know, it's really interesting because if you look at all those studies of breakfast, you know, how you get all this, these people telling you you have to, and and, and really most of the ones that have showed a strong effect were were actually sponsored by the breakfast companies, right? So, you know, Kellogg's and all that, which is basically, you know, tells you what, why (laughs) that result was so positive. Essentially it's like saying, well, the studies made by Kellogg's tell you, you must eat breakfast. Well you know (laughs) that's not science that's that's just you know some company trying to make a study for marketing purposes right so that's what you have to understand about a lot of the studies uh that that came out of that and of course it gets promoted as science and therefore you have to eat but really it's it's to me just an option. If you want to, great. If you don't want to, that's okay too.
0: As you were developing your theories on this, which is really not, you know, not, not the, not the too distant past here. Um, sounds like you've been at it for a little over 10 years now, but you obviously are interacting with other doctors. You're interacting with other people in the medical community. You're interacting with patients. How, how much resistance to these ideas did you experience from people, you know, that, you know, also went to medical school and also have, you know, are, they're also doctors. I mean, you mentioned the the conference example with the food <laughs> out everywhere, but my assumption is that you, that you at least early on were running into people who were just adamant and uh, trying to, and trying to get you to stop. And I think the reason I'm asking is, is because, you know, for the average person who's going to try to do this, they're going to run into people who are just adamant and, and really like, take it upon themselves to try to make you stop. I mean, I, I have met a few people in my life, Dr. Fung, who like they're dedicated to derailing. I mean, they, they have taken <laughs> it upon themselves to be right and to make yeah. me wrong. And, it, and, and But my assumption is you you've run into this in your own profession as well. I was wondering if you might talk a little bit about that and if you think perceptions are actually changing now
2: yeah I think I think you're right so when I started there' was a massive massive amount of resistance people really thought it was the most insane thing they'd ever heard about but you know the advantage is that as a physician I you know I can talk to them and I can explain it to them and I was you know doing talks and you know with the books and trying to get the message out there and as soon as I started to listen to it, in fact most of the doctors immediately saw, the logic of what I was talking about because they understood it too. And as soon as I pointed out, like, you know, where's these studies that say you you shouldn't fast, like show them to me. Or, you know, I'd say, well, what do you think happens? Why do you think we carry around a big amount of body fat? Like just, you know, to look good, like a peacock's feathers. It's it's not that. So they understood immediately the logic. And the other thing they understood, of course, was that um, I got this response quite a lot was, Oh, I used to do that all the time <laughs> during residency. Cuz you understand during residency, uh we're busy, right? So you you get slammed in the emergency room. All of a sudden, you're just not you're you're going right through lunch, you're going right through dinner. You do, we did this like all the time. Uh, you're in the operating room, you just went 20 hours straight sort of thing, right? You just didn't eat because there's just too much work to do. So all the doctors were like, "I I used to do this." Like Like for years, like for five, seven, eight years of my life, I was doing this three, four, five times a week, like whenever. And and they understood immediately, having done it themselves and understanding physiology, that there wasn't anything wrong with not eating. That's our bodies built that way. If we had to eat, you know, six times a day, like we wouldn't have survived as a species you know it's like you, you see those cavemen breaking out the granola bars i don't think so <laughs> right they ate when there was food and there wasn't so the uh, very quickly the physicians saw the logic of what what i was talking about it just needed that sort of pointing out the dietitians of course were much more resistant because they they probably didn't have the same personal experience and they also um you know were probably just listening to what the sort of teaching was down the line. So, um, in fact, a lot of physicians started to come around to to the view that, hey, this is just a reasonable way to do things. Um, so then, and then the studies started to come in and then, you know, a lot of people started using it in their practice and seeing a lot of this same success I was doing. So, so now of course there's a lot less resistance to it. There still is some probably from, you know, people who haven't sort of recognized that, you know, a lot of these dietary paradigms are changing just like with fat, right? So for, for, for years through the eighties and nineties, we're all taught that, all fat is bad, right? So it took another 10 years before we talked about healthy fats. It took a long time. And then now, of course, we understand that, hey, avocados, olive oil, fatty fish, like they're actually quite good for you. But you have to remember that for for about two decades through the 80s and 90s, we were all about, you know, no fat at all, zero fat, zero fat. So the same thing I see is happening with the fasting. So a lot more acceptance. Now I'm giving lectures to like you know the obesity medicine associations, a lot of people, and and, and it's a lot more receptive uh, to what I'm saying. So uh, you know that's encouraging. At least things are starting to change around.
1: So our story, uh, Scott and I have been longtime friends, uh, Dr. Fung, and so f- several years ago um, we did keto together uh, to, to begin with here, and that was really the first time. And in front, what happened was, I saw him, I, I we had been out of touch, or you've been traveling, Scott, and, and working other places for a while. I saw him, and 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 in a short amount of time, he had just lost a, a good deal of weight, and I was like, "How did you do this?" And immediately that day, I began and I followed him. He's my beta tester. Basically, he does all these things, and then I whatever works, and I follow him along. But what but that was the first time I ever really, as an adult, which is crazy, is how irresponsible I've been most of my adult life of paying attention to cause and effect. I mean, really, I mean, understanding like even why I was eating what I was eating and the the, sort of the emotional triggers of food versus, you know, nutritional, you know, reasons why you eat in the first place. So that, that was sort of like my transition into even being aware in the first place of, of those kind of things. And then of course I followed Scott and, and this thing, but this, my personal story is, so it worked both times, if you will, you know, but in both of these situations, though, I have, like I said, I've relapsed. Where I've had a situation where, and what happened for me, it was I went maybe for four or five months. It was working great. Then I went on a vacation with my family, and I fell right back into the uh, the, the the patterns of of regular eating, if you will, with them. And I had a really hard time then getting back on the horse. So you're a physician. Scott's a very methodical thinker. You're both disciplined people. What is your advice for undisciplined people? Because, I mean, you're presenting facts and for a normal person who's sane, you would say, yes, I have a solution for you. It's up to you if you want to take it or not, right? And so, I mean, here I know what you're saying. I believe in what you're saying, but I don't necessarily follow it. So I'm asking you to be my therapist. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, what you're saying is totally true, and we actually have—I have a, um, a company—the fasting method that actually works with people on this, and we actually talk about this all the time. So we we say that there, there's actually three things in terms of um, weight loss, and most people think it's just about the knowledge, right? You know the right diet, and therefore you will be able to lose weight. No, 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 no. That's actually probably the smallest part of it so there's the knowledge but the second thing is the environment and the triggers that we talk about so trying to avoid environments that are going to make you unsuccessful systems that are going to make you unsuccessful like if you systematize and say i'm going to eat three meals and three snacks well your your system's going to make you fail right but then the third thing is the emotions because the emotions are actually hugely important because you have to realize that we eat for a number of reasons and Probably nutrition and hunger are probably on the lower side of why we eat. You know what's very high up is is the sort of reward factor of food. You eat food because it's delicious, or you eat food because you're with people, or you eat food because of that. So there's a huge amount of emotional, um, uh, you know, there's a huge emotional factor to eating. So one of the things that is really important also is to have sort of a supportive community. And this is part of the emotional side of things. So, you know, you you say to yourself, okay, well, people have been fasting. So if you look at any religion, you say Ramadan, you know, they have a fasting month, Catholics fast like during Good Friday, uh, Jewish people fast during Yom Kippur, like what's the secret? How does everybody do that year after year? Well, you have a supportive community. If you are fasting, on, say, Good Friday, and everybody else's too. It's not fun, but... It's not that hard because nobody else is doing it around you, right? And we call that in school as peer pressure because it's something you have got this pressure to conform as adults. Of course, you have more, um, you know, um, autonomy. So it's actually a form of peer support. You find those people that are going to allow you to succeed, and that's where it's important to have your family on board and stuff, and 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 people who will keep you accountable. So if you have somebody that you do it with, if your family knows that. Hey, you know, we had a great vacation. We went on cruise, ate way too much, you know, ate stuff that we know is not good for us, but we're going to make up for it. We're going to do a week of sort of, you know, 24 hour fasting a couple times and do this. Well, put it on the schedule. Tell, tell your, 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 friends or your family, this is what I'm doing. Right. And then if they see you cheating, they're going to be like, Hey, you know, <laughs> what are you doing? Right. It's like, and, and so that's a way to keep yourself accountable for, uh, for things. So having that group is really, really important. It's a, f- it's a, it's a form of support. If you do anything by yourself, it's, it's, it's 10 times as hard. No, it's, it's, it's murder. You know? It's murder to be alone.
0: I mean, I think if I mean we've learned that in the last two two years in this world, you know, how many people I mean, how many people have been alone and the and the outcomes of being alone? And so this is like anything else, right? I and, and having a group. That's why I think what you know, you mentioned your company, the the fasting method, which I've you know, I've, I've gotten into and watched watch the videos and, and I listen to Megan's, you know, podcast. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I sort of, uh, you, you guys have become my, <laughs> I mean, you all are literally in the car with me all the time. Your voice is, and her voice, like they're, they're constantly around because I'm, I, because you all are my support system. And, but I think that's a key issue because if you don't find yeah. somebody or some group, no matter what you're trying to do, it makes, it makes it murder to, to, to complete it and to be successful and to feel good about, you know, and, and to reinforce that, yes, I am doing the right thing here.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, the last two years of this pandemic, I mean, if you look at the statistics on weight gain, oh, it's terrible. horrendous. It's like, you know, the average, I was just looking, I think. Um, it was like 30 plus pounds. It's it's an incredible amount. And, and interestingly, it's the millennials that are uh, actually suffering the most because I think they're sort of the most social group. The the the, the sort of uh, baby boomers and stuff who are getting over 65 and stuff because their sort of groups are a little smaller. Their social connections are probably more sort of just within the family and stuff. They actually did 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 better in terms of weight gain. But that's the whole. Thing. If you normally gain pleasure by going out with friends and, you know, going to watch a movie and doing this and doing that, and all of a sudden that's all taken away from you, well, then if the only thing that's left that's pleasurable is eating, you're going to eat. That's basically all that that's gonna happen and unfortunately that's that's really what's happened so there's a huge huge social component to to an emotional component to weight gain that we have to understand and acknowledge in order to be successful i mean fasting is one part of it but on the other hand it is this connections and other stuff that we really need to So, you know, that's that's where you really can, Joe, I mean, look at your sort of situation and say, how can I leverage this to my advantage, right? And sometimes talking to a friend, you know, can help you and, you know, getting a coach can help you and this kind of thing, right? And say, well... Can you do this? Like, can you say, okay, I'm going to put this on the schedule. So, for example, I I do podcasts, for example, and a lot of times I'll stick them at noontime. Why? Because <laughs> one, I get extra time. Two, if I'm fasting, it just takes my mind off of it and then it's yeah. done, right? So, well, put it on the schedule. That's, that's,
1: that's perfect. And and I will say that during the during the work week, typically Scott and I are both busy enough that it's, that's, that's not a problem. Working through lunch, if you will... Is is fine. It's just a matter of, a, of of understanding. I don't have to make up for it later because there's the emotional exactly. thing about the reward again. To say, well, I missed lunch, so I'm going to go ahead and and eat this other thing now. Um, the other thing, frankly, is that food is, and I think you're exactly right about being emotion because it's also it's it's a boredom trigger for me. It's yeah. it's a situation if I'm watching television, if I'm watching a sporting event. There's there's this common thing about you know wanting to wonder what's. I literally almost have like this. I don't know what you call okay. the but with the, with the physical response is like my hand it's a reaches conditioned out. response. Yeah, exactly. To, to eat something. So it's a matter of recognition. Now, Scott is a fantastic friend and someone who has been an ally. It's a matter of me listening and, 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 uh, and encouraging him. I've, I've, and Scott, you've heard me say to you, please keep me honest. Yeah. You know, we, we, and don't, we, don't, and, be, and, don't be and, shy about doing that.
0: Well, I think our checking in on each other has been, has been vital for me because it, it also, while I'm trying to hold you accountable, I'm, I'm, I'm also trying to hold myself accountable because I also have triggers. I mean, at night stress and anxiety. I mean, I think in the modern world, you have, you know, the average person is, especially the average parent, you know, stress and anxiety, stress and anxiety, and for me, those are the those are the nighttime triggers. And so often, when I'm feeling those, you know, I I want to talk to somebody about it uh, and not and not give into it. But I, you know, it, it doesn't always work. I mean, the truth is, you're going to have moments where you where you fail because of uh because of what's going on in your life. Our guest on the Flower Country podcast this week is Dr. Jason Fung, who is a noted author, the international guru of the intermittent fasting. Uh, uh, um, phenomenon that's sweeping, I would say, the world right now. I mean, you're you're getting a lot of a publicity about about fasting, even as there are people who uh, try to derail us all. <laughs> there, there, yeah. People are recognizing that this works. I wanted to ask you about um, about the industry of dieting because I think one of the things that really spoke to me in your writing is just about how you know, there's this whole industry that's committed to getting you to do things, but it's not necessarily committed to your success. It's just committed to their success. And yeah. you're in, and, in, and you're, and, and, you know, there's a lot of gimmicks. I mean, let's call it what it is. I mean, there's a lot of gimmicky stuff out there. When Joe and I were doing, you know, keto, Atkins, basically, you know, you wind up in this, you know, you can go down a deep rabbit hole of trying to buy all the branded foods and, and they tr- they sort of trick you into thinking, well, if you just eat more of these things that has our label on it, it will be even better than it was last week when you didn't have these things. <laughs> I'm trying, <laughs> what, what I was wondering about is you're not really selling necessarily or you're not really preaching in some ways you do, but not what to eat. And we're not trying to, you're not trying to sell Dr. Fung, you know, granola bars. You're, you're, you're talking about when to eat, what happens inside your body when you do eat, which is a different thing in in my opinion than the average diet industry person. How do you keep your methods in your mind? Like, how are you keeping that separate from being lumped in with, you know, every other gimmick that, that we've seen come along in the last several years that, that doesn't work?
2: Yeah. And and I think that's a great point. I mean, every, this happens to all diet trends, I think is that it gets going like keto, for example. And if you look at the keto movement, it was originally one of the sort of important things was to eat real food. Um, so they're talking about eating, you know, fats, natural fats and, you know, meats and so on. Um, then it, of course, you get all the people who, who just see the high fat part of things and then want to make a keto bar or keto shake or whatever, right? Which is completely opposite of what it was. And, and the, the funniest one, I think, was the paleo movement. If you remember, paleo, eat like your caveman ancestors, yep. which is all natural foods, right? And, and I think that's a perfect it's, – it's a great diet. Then you got the paleo bars, I mean, you know. It's like cavemen <laughs> like, paleo <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah, milkshakes. Yeah, eat milkshakes. So the whole thing, when it's it starts out as this great movement where it's like eat natural food, gets completely derailed. Not by the original people because the original people still were they're basically aghast at this whole sort of thing, um, but it gets derailed because the big things uh, come. Commercial interests wind up taking over all of it um so you know i i, I try to sort of stick to what I'm, I'm i'm saying which is just fasting it's hard to sort of monetize it if if you will with products i mean there are people who um you know try to come up with fasting things but it's difficult right so there's there's not a lot because you're really just not eating and like there's there's things like tea. So I did work with a company to make some fasting teas, which were just specially blended green teas and so on. But, you know, I I, I don't really uh, promote that much. I mean, if you want to drink tea, just drink tea, right? It's been around for thousands of years. There's thousands of different brands and stuff. Um, that's, that's really the only thing is, you know, to try and stay true to your message, which is, you know, what I'm trying to talk about is not simply the diet, because the diet is what you're eating. And, you know, that's that's important, but it's not the only thing. It's only half the story. So if you only pay attention to diet, you're missing half the story because it's about what you eat, but it's also about sort of when you eat or how often you eat. Same with anything. Like if you make $100, it's like, that's great. If you made $100 once a year, well, it's not a lot of money, right? So it's, it's how often, right? So if you eat you know a meal that could be good but if you eat that meal 8 times a day that's not that's not good at all right? So it's not just about what you're eating. It's about how often you're eating it when you're eating it. So that's the part that nobody really had paid attention to. Like, should we be eating constantly? Because that's what we do now. And the answer is no. Remember, your body sort of only exists either in a fasted state where you're burning calories or a fed state where you're storing calories. And you can't store calories and burn calories at the same time. Your body doesn't want to do this one or the other. So give your time, body more time, and I think to some extent it's been really hard for people to really um, make it too commercial, just because of the nature of fasting. It it doesn't lend itself to a lot of sort of products, you know, that 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 you can sell. So that's why you don't see a lot of it. There has been there is one though. It's called the fasting mimicking diet which is actually um is actually an interesting product just because they they do a lot of science. So they actually do a lot of studies showing that it, it's actually an improvement. And and I think it's essentially just a very sort of low calorie sort of thing, but it, they they you know to their credit they actually are doing the studies to show, to show that some of that can be very beneficial. But that's sort of how I sort of do it. I try and stick to what I uh, you know I'm preaching which is you know, let's think about these things. Um, you know the 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 fasting is it's just because there's nothing there to sell. it's It's not like you can say, "Oh, this is a fasting shake." It's like, yeah, that's just water." <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I have a question about this um fasting industry, uh, and I'm going to call it an industry because I, you know, as Joe knows, whenever I start to 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 follow something, I really dig deep. And so after fo- after learning about you, I then naturally started looking for everything else. And so you run across all these other personalities, Dave Asprey, Jen Stevens. uh, You know, there's people with podcasts, there's people with websites. I mean, there's a ton of people out there who are preaching some form of intermittent fasting. And some of it looks a lot like what you're talking about. And some of it's different. And, you know, and and I'm, I'm curious about but, but I think I think everybody sort of recognizes you're the granddaddy uh, of this though. Sort of, I've, I've been personal because I consume all this information. Yeah, you know, I've even found these carnivore people. Like there are people out there who are telling you fast and only eat meat. Like literally, don't eat anything but meat. I'm I'm interested in how you interact with this community because you're you're the you sort of sit atop this regime. I think of of information, and now all these other people are are coming along how do you, how do you interact with them and and what is your commentary about the growth of people who are talking about your your theories but maybe putting their own spin on it
2: I think it's it's fine. I mean, I know a lot of these people, and really there's no one right or wrong way to do it. I mean, if you're getting good results, then it's right for you. And whether it works for somebody else, it doesn't matter. If it works for you, it's 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 totally fine. So there's there's sort of infinite variations of fasting. So so if if you do a classic water fast, water only fast, that's the classic way to do it. But you can actually get great benefits from adding in certain things. So if you add in, say coffees and teas, that's not a classic fast, but it makes it easier so if it makes it easier you're more likely to do it there are people who do it like there's the five to two which is dr michael mosley uh where you do two days of sort of 500 calories and that works for some people and other people who use bone broth and so all these variations can still work extremely well Um, so there's no one right or wrong way of doing it so if uh dave asprey wants to put a spin on it hey i'm sure it'll work for a lot of people if it doesn't then you can always tighten it up you can say okay well you know this 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 coffee with a lot of butter in it this is probably slowing down my success let me get rid of that and I'll I'll, I'll just go to sort of green tea sort of thing so there's different ways but but some people will say well well that was the secret to success right so i, I, I don't like you know, I, I think they, they all have sort of value to add to this uh, sort of discussion, as long as you understand the sort of principles of the whole thing, which is that essentially what you're trying to do is get your body to use up those those its its own calories, right? So all of those, I think, I think they're all they're all valuable. They bring they bring a different perspective. Um, you know, I try and talk about the principles so that you sort of understand sort of this is what's happening in the body. And therefore, then you can see that, hey, this this might work, and this might work, and this might work. Carnivore is just a different spin on keto, for example. It's, it's, it's you know, to me, it's, uh, interestingly enough, on the carnivore side, I've had a few patients do it. And I always thought, well, this is not going to go too well. But Surprisingly, they actually did very well. So it's like, you know, to me, I was like, hey, I'm not here to judge you. If you're doing great, then why would I want you to change? Right. There, you know, they did very well on it. Now they couldn't sustain it. So then I said, That's fine. Then go back to something that's more sustainable to you. But you know, all of these, I think, have their place, and that's why I, I'm I'm sort of okay with with all of these things, and I think a lot of them have sort of taken it and you know and taken you know taken it in a little bit different directions. But you know, as long as you understand the sort of underlying principle, which is don't eat all the time, then then it's okay.
1: For me, Scott, the, what you did for me, and first first it was through keto, and now it's through intermittent fasting. Is just being aware in the first place that I and I didn't, never gave it any thought to basically sugar and understanding carbohydrates, understanding sugar, and and the fact that I was fifty years old, Dr. Fung, and up to that point had never really quite, for lack of better words, digested, if you will, you know that information, or or maybe I was just uh, uh, intentionally ignoring it, but in other words, just being aware, like, oh, that's why my body craves that. And just just that awareness going in now, the fact that I am more of a conscious eater now in the first place is like my first victory. That's Scott's biggest victory for me is the fact that he's made me aware rather than just unconsciously putting things into my body.
2: Yeah and, and I think that that's one of the things I always thought was very strange was that people type 2 diabetes for example. So if you understand about carbohydrates carbohydrates are sugars that's that's what they are. Proteins are different, they're amino acids and fats are fats, right? So if you have a disease where your sugars are too high, then why would you want to eat lots of carbohydrates? Because you know and I know and everybody knows that's gonna spike your sugar. Like you eat a slice of bread, low-fat bread, your sugar's gonna spike up. Well, if your sugars are high, why would you eat that slice of bread? And yet dietitians and doctors were busy telling people to eat, you know, 50, 60, 70% carbohydrate diets and to avoid the fats and you know, not eat too much meat. It's like, well, wouldn't you want to eat proteins and fats? Get your energy from proteins and fats and not carbohydrates, which is glucose, right? So again, having a little bit of that sort of understanding, then you say, yeah, now I understand um, why this is going to work. The keto might work if you're trying to lose weight or if you're type 2 diabetic or so on. Um, But yeah, so understanding that is certainly important. And I think that's where all of these people bringing their sort of different perspectives is sort of valuable to have that discussion.
0: Dr. Jason Fung is our guest on the Flower of a Country podcast this week. Dr. Fung, you have been uh, a terrific guest, I think. um, And we're going to do one more thing, which we do with all of our guests, which is the famous lightning round. We don't give you the questions in advance, but we do expect you to uh, answer them. But before we do, I I just wanted to say that um, I'm really grateful for your coming on. Um, I'm grateful for the book you wrote. I'm grateful for the work you've done. I'm grateful for the resistance that you've overcome uh, I still have a long way to go in my own, you know, journey. But I, I can honestly say um, there aren't too many people that uh, you, you know, you get a chance to meet that have have truly impacted your life in some way. I, I can say that about you. And I'm hoping that the people who listen to this podcast run out and buy your book and 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 listen to your videos and 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 subscribe to your methods because just take it from someone who did it it works and it's not complicated. And, you know, I I tell people it's the simplest, you know, it's the only plan I've ever had in my life to solve any problem where the plan was to do nothing (laughs) and literally (laughs) do nothing. It's all you have to do is do nothing. It's as simple. And it, I think, I think in our culture, people like complex problems require complex solutions. We have to come up with charts and you don't, you really don't. A complex problem like solving your own health issues in this particular case really does have a, A simple solution. So with that having been said, let's do our famous lightning round. Number one, you are at your office and either the president of the United States or the prime minister of Canada calls you up and says, I need you to stop doing what you're doing and I need you to come be the surgeon general or whatever the equivalent of that is in Canada because you got to fix this. Would you do it?
2: Oh, absolutely. I'd love to do it. It's (laughs) one of these things that has so many implications for so many people. Like so many people are suffering with this problem and we don't need um, uh, money to do it. It's not like we need specialized equipment or anything. We just need to make it easier for people. Like if you tell people to do stuff, they will. Like we told people to stop smoking and they did. It took them a while, but we did. And we told people to watch their blood pressures and get it checked. And they did. And we told people to, you know, get colon cancer screening and stuff. So, and they did. So because they want to be healthy, right? So it's just about giving them the right information about, Hey, here's this great intervention that you can do We'll help you do it. We'll make it normal for people to do. And then you'll be able to do something about it. If your sugars start to go up, you're not you're not it's not a life sentence of type two diabetes. You can do something about this. And we'll well, now, that
1: even, now that you've accepted the nomination, Scott's going to be the person, <laughs> the political strategist, to get you into that position. Yeah, I, I feel, <laughs> I feel like we
0: need to take this on as a campaign.
1: Doctor Funk, you do the exactly. surgeon general. I'm for it.
0: I mean, I know you're not from here, but <laughs> Doctor Funk,
1: believe me, right we round need round it. question. <laughs> when you break when you break a fast, what's the first thing you eat?
2: I try to eat as normally as I as I would. So if if I'm planning to eat whatever it is I'm planning to eat, then you know whether I eat breakfast and lunch that well i usually don't eat breakfast but whether i eat lunch that day or not it's going to be the same because the point is to for that lunch or meal that you miss to take the calories from your body fat stores or your body sugar so that your you know your sugar goes down then therefore you know you should just stick to it you know, the dinner just as you normally would. Or if you skip the whole day, then the next day, again, you eat as you normally would. Like once you finish your fast, you forget about it. It's done. It's over. Your body's taking it from your calories of, of body fat. The next meal is exactly as it would have been had you eaten or not eaten. And that's the way I sort of look at it. And that's the way sort of, you know, it, it, you know getting back to emotional side, this visualization. Like what I'm trying to get people to visualize is that, hey, you didn't deprive yourself or anything. What you did was you let your body eat that meal from your body fat. So the next meal is the exact same, whether you've eaten or not. And that's the sort of visualization that is sort of useful sometimes for people. All right,
0: next question. What is your if, – if somebody – if you ran into somebody on the sidewalk today and they said, I know who you are, just tell me – just give me 10 seconds. What do you recommend my schedule be – Tomorrow is it sixteen eight? Is it eighteen six? Is it twenty four? Like, if you had thirty seconds with somebody on the sidewalk, what what would be the the go to advice on what do you
2: do tomorrow? I usually tell people to start with uh, cutting snacks. So you know, trying to go breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then you know nothing after dinner until breakfast the next day, which is you know somewhere between twelve and fourteen hours to start with, and then the next day just to push that up to sixteen hours. Uh, you know, in the past. You know, people got into trouble, and so there's all these studies in the 60s that they did. They got into trouble because when they did fasting studies, they really meant fasting. They were going 30, 60, 90 days at a time, and that's that's a lot to so go from nothing to. 60 days sort of thing so now we don't do that of course so you want to take it gradually especially with me i'm old working mostly with older people who have other health conditions so you want to take it gradually so 16 hours is a great way to start until you're comfortable with that and then you can push it up if if necessary and if and you feel comfortable with it
1: lightning round question who is the most famous person on your cell phone
2: <laughs> um, I don't know who the most famous person is, actually. Um, that's a good question. Well, I, I was,
0: was going to spin it and ask, who's the most famous person that has called you and said, okay, I saw you on TV. I'm such and such. You need to tell me what to do here because I'm struggling.
2: Uh, again I'm, I'm not sure I've interacted with uh, Nassim Taleb who's a writer yeah. he, he's in a different field for me obviously I've spoken to a lot of people in the sort of medical field and dieting field and so on but he he writes about you know financial probability and all this sort of thing Some, a guy who I like, I think he's one of the smartest guys. Um, and, 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 you know, I interacted with him a few times, because he was also into sort of uh, thought fasting was a really interesting thing. And that was, that was, to me, very cool, because I always thought that that, uh, you know, our, our sort of, our world sort of intersected in a way that was completely unexpected, considering how different the, our, our, what we write about is.
0: All right. Um, last question for me, and then I'll, I'll give you one final one. Uh, Dr. Fung, one food that you wish was healthy, but you know isn't, but you wish it was so that you could eat it without reservation.
2: <laughs> oh, there's so many foods, foods like that, but luckily the one food that I love and probably most people love um you know avocados like and luckily it is healthy right it's just For you yeah. like yeah i could eat that all day i mean it's like they're they're great like they're full of healthy fats there's lots of fiber and the other thing that i i do tend to eat a lot of which again luckily, and most people think it's one of these things but it's um like bacon like or pork belly i i just love that and and luckily again it's it's not that bad and, You know, not many carbs, lots of, uh, you know, sort of fat and protein. And it's just great. I mean, but honestly, who doesn't love like bacon and avocado? (laughs) Luckily, I can eat it.
0: I think I think you're you're you may be failing to to see the political implications of what you just said, because if I were a politician and I were promising to appoint a top public health official who was going to order us all to eat bacon. Then you don't. Need, I mean, the, the <laughs> amount of votes that are available to this person. I mean, there's no limit. There's no limit to, to what a, a, a politician could do if they would only follow your uh, follow your
1: political advice on eating bacon. Joe, last one. Uh, well, I think Dr. Fung is probably the most, maybe the first Canadian to be on the podcast, Scott. So, so when we plan our next vacation, what's the first place we should come to in Canada? Uh,
2: <laughs> there's a lot of nice places. I mean, I'm from Toronto, so obviously I'm biased, but I think, you know, Toronto is a great city, but also we have great cities uh, on the West Coast. There's Vancouver, which is beautiful. And on the you East Coast, you know, oh, you if I one. had to pick one. Um, Uh, You know, obviously I'm so used to Toronto, but the the east coast of of Canada, Nova Scotia and so on, just beautiful. Like in the summertime, it gets a little cold there in the wintertime, but like the, the, the ocean, they have great scenery, great people, great food, you know, so Nova Scotia, that area is just great.
1: Okay, we'll meet you there. We'll do some private counseling. We'll see what your rates are there. Thanks for
2: uh,
1: <laughs> thanks thanks for letting me lean in here and and getting some advice. I appreciate it, Doctor Jason Fung. You've been a
0: great guest on the Flower Country podcast, and uh, uh, we sincerely appreciate your time today. We know you're busy. We know you're in high demand, and uh, I will just say again, I think everything you've said and everything you've written, if people really took it seriously, they would see the same kind of life changes that uh, that I've seen, and and uh, we couldn't recommend it more. Thanks for being with us uh, today.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Really couldn't be happier with our uh, interview with Dr. Fung today. And I just wanted to here at the close of the show, come back and say, all you really have to do is listen to this person and read what they have to say. Go to Amazon. He's, you know, he's an author. He's written the obesity code, the complete guide to fasting, the diabetes code, the cancer code, the PCOS plan. The way he approaches his writing is extremely accessible. So if you're like me and before you sort of do big things, you want to research it deeply and you want to know, well, why am I doing this? What are the methods behind this? He's written the kinds of books that underpin big change, but they do it in a way that's not too dense for people like me. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor, but he makes it really accessible and understandable. So go to Amazon, buy this guy's book, uh, listen to him on a few podcasts. You know, we had a great conversation today. Look at some of his videos And just understand what I have come to believe about Dr. Fung is, is that he approaches all of this with uh, an open heart and that he wants people to just know what he knows so they can improve their own health outcome. We even talked about, you know, how, you know, his methods are different than the people who are out there trying to monetize, you know, diet gimmicks, which is, you know, what people do. It's not really what he's doing. And I'm so impressed by him. So anyway, I wanted to just plug his website, drjasonfung.com, thefastingmethod.com and go to Amazon and look at his books. Uh, And thanks for being with us on Fly Over Country. I'm Scott Jennings. Fly Over Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Fly Over Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Five-star reviews will help us keep making the content that you love. To find my latest television hits, columns, and other commentary, go to scottjenningsky.com, and you can also find me at scottjenningsky on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening, and talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure your seat backs and folding trays are in their full upright position. Cabin crew, please take your seats for landing, and thank you for
1: choosing Flyover Country with Scott Jennings.